Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. So we have a very special episode, a very different episode for you guys today. If you've listened to a bunch of our episodes, this one will be different because it's a different band. But also, (laughs) it will be different because La Dispute is the band that we are doing today. And they're a really cool band, but definitely different on on the spectrum than any bands that we've done before. They're kind of this cool mix of spoken word and jazz and blues and screamo almost like some really hard stuff um they just mesh a bunch of really cool styles into one it's going to be an awesome episode and we're excited for this episode so thank you for listening thank you to all of the lot of spute fans that are coming for this episode we hope you enjoy and uh nate you ready to jump into it might as well So our first segment of the podcast is called Spammer Jam, where we give hit radio singles and let you know whether we like them or don't like them. So first up, we have I Don't Care by Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts? So when the song first came out, I was pretty pumped because I'm a fan of both Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber. And then I listened to the song and was actually a little bit let down at first just because I felt like my expectations were like super high and the song did not meet those expectations. So I would have initially thought like, uh, I'll give it a spam, but it is a good song. I do enjoy it. I also literally couldn't type the word spam next to Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber. It's like my computer wouldn't let me. So I'm going to go jam. I think it's a it's a light jam. I think they maybe could have done better than this song, but it is cool. And obviously it gets stuck in my head for days. So, yeah, it's a jam. What do you think, Nate? What's the title of this track? It's called I Don't Care. And after one listen, that's basically your response is, I don't care. The song sucks. Ed Sheeran's overrated. And Justin Bieber is still pretty good. But Justin Bieber, what are you doing? Stooping down to Ed Sheeran's level? This is such spam. This is trash. What? Like, come on. I'm lost for words. This is stupid. Okay. Our next track is Never Really Over by Katy Perry. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this one? So I'll come out faster and just say this song's a jam. Katy Perry, I've liked in the past. I've also disliked in the past. She's like very up and down for me, I feel like. But yeah, I do really like the song. I think this is a jam. It's catchy. It's fun. It's just light. It's nothing really heavy. I don't like when pop stars get really like feudy on me and just like make music that's just about like dissing another pop star or someone like I'm better than you. But yeah, I do think this is a jam. What do you think, Nate? So I think that Katy Perry is my favorite, like, just radio pop star currently. I feel like when Katy Perry releases a single, for the most part, I know I'm going to like it. And it just, she continues to put out really great songs. And I liked it. I thought it had a really interesting chorus specifically, too. 
Okay, so our last song on Spammer Jam is God's Country by Blake Shelton. And just for some background, Andrew hates country. And I've recently over the past, I would say year or so, developed somewhat of a soft spot for country start i'm i guess i'm a little more open now than i used to be i used to be a lot like andrew so i'm very interested to uh hear what andrew's response is so andrew what are your thoughts on this song yeah well this song is obviously a jam it's just so so obvious i'm just kidding it's spam um (laughs) but i think maybe for a second nate was wondering if i was serious so let me point this out i'm actually gonna give this a light spam which is still spam wow but but here's the deal if you take out blake shelton's voice and (laughs) lyrics which are two big parts of the song that are spam if you take that out It's actually it sounds like a Nickelback song, it which does. if you I was thinking that I was thinking yeah, that too. which if you know me, you know that that's an automatic jam uh, because I have such a soft spot in my heart for Nickelback. The same way that that Nate's getting a soft spot in his heart for country, I've just always had for Nickelback. So if you just let Nickelback take the song, keep the melody, that's fine. Uh, keep the instrumentation, just everything but what Blake Shelton personally brought to the song. If you keep everything else and just had Chad Kroger sing something, it might be a lot more crude or something than what Blake Shelton sang, but I think it would be better. So it's light spam because there's parts of the song that I don't hate. I don't hate everything. It is not Florida Georgia line spam, which is like, <laughs> which is like just throw up. This is palatable for a little bit and and i i did question just giving it a jam but i in the end better judgment prevailed and i could not so nate uh do you want to you want to jam this one sure i'll start out by saying it's a jam now i don't want to get into the theology of the lyrics and the muddiness of combining religion and nationalism. <laughs> However, <laughs> that being said, I just found the song to be very catchy, and I thought that it packed a punch, which I honestly think you would probably agree with, based off of your explanation. Like, the songwriting itself, it kind of got you moved in your head, and it kind of captivated your attention a bit. And so that's why I liked it. And I actually don't mind his voice at all. I think he actually has a good voice. But... Yeah, we won't, we don't have to talk about the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I think um I think what you're saying is that uh that country might be spam, but God's country <laughs> is a jam. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. All right, so that was uh spammer jam. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be on our Insta story uh, posting each one of these songs and asking you whether you think they're spam or jam. So keep an eye out, be on the lookout, and let us know your thoughts. So next up, we have top three. Top three is our segment where we give a category and give our top three of whatever that category is. It usually involves an artist, an album, or a specific song. For this top three, we have our top three standalone movie soundtracks. And what we mean by that is no movie franchises. No Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, etc. So you have to pick a single movie soundtrack. Andrew, you have an honorable mention 
and I don't. And that's because your opinion matters more than mine does. And so we wanted to give you an extra opportunity to share your opinion. So, Andrew, will you share your honorable mention and your third on your list? Sure. So my honorable mention is the Tarzan soundtrack. Phil Collins just he, oh, he that's my honorable it. mention too. Is it? There we go. It's so good. I couldn't put it in my top three. It's also hard because it's so different than the other ones that I have because there's actual songs in it. It's not just like a, a score basically, which is where I went with my top three. But the songs themselves in that soundtrack are incredible. Some of my favorite, not just like songs in movies, but also some of my favorite Phil Collins work is in that soundtrack. So I love it. It's a great soundtrack. That's my honorable mention. But I'm going to start at three. My third favorite standalone movie soundtrack is Titanic by James Horner. The music in Titanic is amazing. It helps you feel all the correct emotions that you should feel from kind of some like Irish folk dancing music to the most sad, sad stuff happening while the Titanic is sinking. And obviously my heart will go on also part of that whole soundtrack as well, which is one of my all time top movie songs ever. It's so good. And that whole soundtrack is incredible. And so if you are not familiar, definitely check it out. I think one of my favorite things is the use of uh, some of the wind instruments that James Horner uses on that soundtrack. It's just really cool, and I love it. So definitely check that out. Nate, what is your number three? So for my top three, I took a very different approach than Andrew. I originally did the same thing of having three scores, and they were definitely like very highbrow, like really excellently made soundtracks. But I was like, you know what? I want to do my top three favorite soundtracks that I just want to sing along and just absolutely love. So my number three is the Nacho Libre soundtrack. Nice. (laughs) Now, there's multiple reasons why. First, the music in it is just phenomenal. And that main song, I honestly, I don't even remember what it's called, but the I am, I am, na, 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 that song, I mean, just killer. And then he, a very religious man. Okay, sorry. This is not really helping anybody who's listening right now. You want to stop listening. But anyways, and that you not only have those like cool songs, but then you have like the songs that like Jack Black sings in the movie, like Encarnacion, the one where he goes, Rams is at the party. <laughs> that one. <laughs> I don't know how it goes, but that song's awesome. There's just so many good songs on that album or on that soundtrack. And I love it. My friend bought it for me for vinyl for my birthday a few years ago. So shout out to Jacob Padilla. Okay, Andrew, what's your number two? All right, my number two, man, I feel so serious after that, but that's like such a good choice. I love it. All right, my number two is the Dunkirk soundtrack that is by Hans Zimmer, one of the best composers out there, if not the best composer out there, arguably, especially for scores for movies. He creates, he's more of a textural type of, composer more of a feel with it and I'm actually going to shout out my wife Amy and how she was even explaining Dunkirk that she was just saying 
that we just watched that movie not that long ago and she said man the music is like an extra character in the movie and it really is it ties everything together so perfectly and it just the whole time the music is basically this idea of just time and it keeps your heart racing really fast and the whole time you're just glued to the screen but I think it's just like undeniable how great that soundtrack is at just bringing everything that you're seeing actually to life so much more and just stand alone if you want some really intense but like really awesome soundtrack work that's Dunkirk it's it's honestly one of my obviously one of my favorite soundtracks and I think one of the best movie soundtracks as well so Nate what is your number two so my number two is this is I guess you could say a cult classic if anybody else knows this movie or soundtrack hit up the LDL pod Instagram private message us let us know you love this soundtrack. I love it. It's the Hobbit soundtrack. Now, wait, from the 1977 Rankin and Bass cartoon. So the main singer on the soundtrack is Glenn Yarbrough, and he just has some killer songs. You got The Greatest Adventure. You got In the Valley. It definitely just is a childhood favorite of mine and one of my favorite soundtracks. All right, Andrew, numero uno. All right, before my number one, I do just have to say that that movie itself, that Hobbit movie, is one of the first times that I remember having a nightmare to a movie. I don't know why. (laughs) Was it the goblins? Was it the spider? it, It was the goblins. They got me in the dream. That's all. That's all I remember. I do not remember much, but I do remember that movie was very scary for little Andrew. He could not handle it. But actually, Nightmares is an interesting segue to my number one, because speaking of dreams, my number one is the Inception soundtrack. Come on. I knew I knew that was going to be your number one. First of all, I'm- yeah. First of all, it's very obvious to anyone who knows me because I basically just talk about Inception way too much and I love this movie. But also, I need to pat myself on the back for that segue because I somehow got from The Hobbit giving me nightmares as a kid to my number one favorite soundtrack which does not give me nightmares it's it's amazing congratulations uh, thank you i just i'm i'm so proud of that one i'm probably going to take out this whole thing of me just being so proud of it but i currently <laughs> am very proud of that segue but my favorite soundtrack is the inception soundtrack it's so good the once again it's this idea of time and that that actually is a theme for Christopher Nolan, and that's why he relies on Hans Zimmer for his soundtracks, is that Hans Zimmer can create those same exact elements that the movie's creating, but in audio form, basically. The Inception soundtrack also, love it or hate it, what it spawned is this idea of just these deep bass, just like, like big, big things in movies that every movie took from at some point and still does a lot that it it just created these really intense loud boom kind of synth sounds and it to me at least not only revolutionized movie soundtracks but also kind of what to do with music in 
in trailers for commercials and everything, everyone's still using those really jolting sounds. And that was inspired by Inception and what Hans Zimmer did there. One of my favorite score just tracks in any music is the song Time from Inception. It's insanely good. I just I I literally can't talk enough about that soundtrack. It's my all-time favorite. It's the one that my iTunes reflects as my all-time favorite with how much I played it, but it's insane. So definitely check that soundtrack out. All right, Nate, what is your number one? Before I say my number one, when I had my list of scores more like Andrew, I also had Inception on my list. But my second Hans Zimmer wasn't Dunkirk. It was interstellar yes which is an organ based soundtrack which is really sick and that was up there for me i was having a hard time i didn't really want to go Hans zimmer for all three but it's hard <laughs> when you're talking standalone movie soundtracks because john williams is known for franchises so that's where he like kills it but like Hans zimmer does a lot of these one-off movies he does some franchises as well but like just Dang, he's so good at those one. Well, he works with Christopher Nolan a lot yeah, too. Yeah, and that would have actually that's Interstellar. Yeah, that's um, Dunkirk, Dunkirk and that's Inception. Inception, exactly. Yeah. It would have been top three. Would have been hey, when Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmer <laughs> join each other, it's pretty magical. So, so my number one is the Remember the Titan soundtrack. Great memories from when I was a kid. This is one of my favorite movies ever. It's a movie that you can't see too many times. And honestly, so what I'm about to say, I don't know if if it's like a good point or if it's just stupid, but I'm going to say it anyways. Like the remember the Titan soundtrack is like just a earlier. And to be honest, in my mind, slightly better version of the guardians of the galaxy soundtrack where it's just basically taking all those songs from the 80s, taking all those songs from the 70s, taking all those songs from the 60s. I don't know which uh, decade they're in. <laughs> and then incorporating them into an amazing soundtrack, which is banger after banger. And it just does such a good job of creating an incredible mood with such amazing songs. I mean, you got Marvin Gaye, you got James Taylor. You got so many different amazing artists, and it's an incredible soundtrack. So that's all for top three. Again, we'll be posting on our Instagram story. We'll also be posting on Twitter, asking you what your top three standalone soundtracks are. So please let us know on those, and we'd love to hear from you. Stick around, because next we have our Lotus Butte track-by-track listening. Welcome to our album listening party. Today we're going to be listening to the album Panorama by the band La Dispute. It's going to be a lot of fun. Once again, as mentioned, it's a very different album than what we've had before. So just check it out. It's really cool. And yeah, we're going to go song by song, talk about the whole album. A little bit here just of context before we get into this album. So La Dispute is from Grand Rapids, Michigan. This is important because of where things are mentioned throughout the album, throughout their entire discography as a band. That's a huge part of their music as well. This is their fourth studio album. It's almost exactly five years after Rooms of the House, their 
second newest now. So it had been a while before Panorama came out. I mean, it was five years before this album uh, since they released one. So it's been a bit in that five years. That's the time that I became a fan of La Dispute. Nate has been a fan longer than I have. But just a little context here. La Dispute has so much that they've accomplished already as a band. We are not touching on really old La Dispute. We might mention it here and there, but we're really just going to try and hone in on this album itself. So if you're huge fans of their old albums, that's awesome. We are too, but we just don't have enough time to go through every single album and talk about what we've loved from their previous work. Again, we might mention it here and there. But we're just going to focus on this album. The other thing I'd like to mention is they're a very layered band. There's just so much happening. And we're probably not going to cover everything 100% perfect. We're not going to go over line by line lyrically what they're trying to say. We're going to just leave some stuff out. We're just going to hit on a lot of our favorite things, a lot of the things that stood out to us from each track. So there's a lot more discussion from this album that can happen than we will get to in this podcast. And we just want to start the conversation for this album, conversation that I'm sure is already happening, but we want to start it within our podcast, within our fans as well. So make sure that you're kind of having conversations, you're diving into this album because there's so much here. And again, we just won't cover every little piece here. All right, we're going to jump into our first track. The first track is called Rose Quartz. All right, Nate, what are your thoughts on the first track, Rose Quartz? Just a very dynamic track. You know, it really starts out the album on a fast pace and just really sets you up for, I mean, it's really foreshadowing of a lot of what they do for the rest of the record. I mean, Jordan's lyrics, just top notch, as always. I mean, he's such a good lyricist. And I mean, this track displays that, honestly, better than most, I mean, I crazily enough better than most of the tracks i've heard from them before so yeah definitely a great first track to start off the album yeah drew what are your thoughts well it's an instrumental (laughs) (laughs) oh that was such a good setup nate you did so good yeah it's it's an instrumental it's quiet it's swelly it's uh it's it's cool but it basically just leads into the next track nicely that's my thoughts uh, any other actual thoughts before we move on? No, I think I'm good. <laughs> Perfect. All right, we're going to move on to track two. Track two is called Fulton Street, number one. Nate, what are your thoughts on this song? So this was the first single that was released from the album. I remember texting you, Andrew, the day it came out, being like, yo, we got to listen to this. And so I think we listened like around the same time. And I forget if you text, we texted back and forth or if we called. I think we texted. But I think... After listening, so I listened to the song a lot before the album came out, as well as the other singles. 
And honestly, I think I lost my appreciation for the song as time went on. But re-listening for the podcast really made me realize just how incredible of a song this is. The crescendo's just so well done. And I know they crescendo again, but somehow it just comes in even more powerful and more jarring the second time. And lyrically, one thing that stuck out to me is, so Jordan ends the song saying, I saw it all in my dreams, and I saw leaves hiding bodies in the tree line of the interstate, but I've never put flowers by the street. And as Andrew might touch on, or if you listen at all to the song, you understand that this idea of putting flowers by the street is talking about uh, death and losing loved ones. And I think this song speaks specifically to the unavoidable nature of death, that even when it's not present, it still haunts your dreams. And even when you aren't losing your loved ones, like Jordan seems to have not lost yet, Others always are losing their loved ones, and it's only a matter of time that you'll be attending funerals and planting flowers, too. And so I think from his perspective, it's this almost like death's always on the horizon, kind of, and that's what haunts him. And that's his perspective, and that's just really interesting. I also think this idea of dreams. So again, I said I saw it all in my dreams. I didn't check this, but I wouldn't be surprised if every song mentions dreams like the word dream or dreams and so that's going to be a theme that's going to keep reoccurring and we'll i'm sure we'll remind you of hey andrew what are your thoughts yeah that's a good point there's definitely plenty of themes throughout the album and i think the main theme is this idea of of suffering and loss and and grief there's a lot of just those themes throughout the album which make it a very heavy album to listen to struggling with these ideas and I think I always took it as just this idea of like inevitability uh, very similar to what you were saying is just that that suffering loss grief it all happens and whether it's happening currently or it's about to happen it's just this inevitable thing and it's just Jordan kind of questioning through his lyrics, even though he hasn't maybe gotten to that level of suffering, that he's he's maybe had grief, he might not have had loss, and he might not be putting flowers by the street or, or suffering loss in that way, but it feels like he's just thinking that at some point he knows he's going to be at that point, and he's wondering how he'll handle it, and he'll wonder if he can even handle that level of suffering and loss, I think, in some ways. I think one thing I just thought about now, too, I think the flowers by the street imagery is very important because of the unexpected nature that death can play. He could have easily said, like, plant flowers by your grave or something, but that kind of gives the connotation almost that, like, death is expected and it's, like, predictable and it's very linear in a sense and very timely. But I think him using this idea of car crashes is very intentional in the uncertainty of it all. As you were talking, I was just thinking about that, and I wanted to say that. I think you're completely correct. I think he's always very intentional with the word pictures that he's creating and with every single lyric. I don't think he just like sits down and just writes down something and he's just like yep that's it we'll go with that I think he's very intentional about every word every single picture that he creates with his lyrics and that's it's not easy and it's super important to 
Law Dispute as a band. And for all we know, too, like maybe his friend or his partner here or like lost somebody in a car accident, like the way he like chose this as imagery. Like this could be a very real situation. I don't know. But yeah. So some other things with the song uh, musically, their dynamics are their strength as a band, I think, more so than just what they're creating musically. They have such dynamics, their ups and downs of them as a band are really, really important and integral to them as as a band. So just as you're listening through this album, you'll notice a lot of really high highs and really low lows as they're going. I love the clean guitar tone in this song. I really think his vocals are just a standout on this album so many times that he goes from talking basically like more just spoken word to yelling just really passionate almost screaming throughout the song and he seems to enter in and out of that vocal place really seamlessly and he doesn't seem to have to put much effort into that and it's really it carries the song so much and I think the movement of the guitars and bass throughout the song creates this sense of unease, like you can't really rest in the song. And I think it it really helps with the idea of loss and grief throughout the song that the that the instruments just do such a good job of supporting the ideas that Jordan's unpacking lyrically throughout not just this song, but the whole album. All right, we're going to move on to track number three. Track number three is Fulton Street Part 2. Right, Nate, what are your thoughts on Fulton Street Part 2? So one thing is their song structures, as you know, can be pretty hard to follow. I'm like, is this a verse? Is this a chorus? Like, is this a bridge? I don't know what a lot of things are. So I'm just venting, I guess, <laughs> with that statement. I don't think I have a point about that. But um, so I think this is a good song until the instrumental that builds up in the second half well, halfway through the song and then carries out through the rest of the song. I think after the second half is finished, you realize, oh, wow, this is a phenomenal song. And so this track feels very much for me like it could be on Rooms of the House from an instrumental and vocal standpoint. The song is somewhat lyrically in contrast to the more autobiographical take on the first Fulton track where it felt like he was talking about on Fulton one about how he felt. And this feels a little bit different where he's talking about another person and how they're feeling and how he's viewing their feelings. The song seems to describe the grief, anger and pain as partner has endured from losing either her friend or loved one, or maybe multiple friends, multiple loved ones. And again, Jordan writes about dreams and he ends the song by saying, and I know your dreams of opening caskets you shake in the mattress, you shake in the, and then it, the song dies. And I think that this is definitely an example of me reading into things and probably being completely wrong. But I think he is almost doing, again, the inverse of what he did in the first Fulton, 
basically I felt like Fulton one, he talks about how death of a friend or a loved one is a fear that follows him into his dreams. But here, I believe he's saying for those who have experienced death much more closely, death follows you into life from your nightmares. And some might say that's the same thing, but I definitely think there's a nuance there on the juxtaposition of the effects that fear has on those who have and have not experienced something terrible or traumatic or life altering. Basically, the fear of what might happen and the demons of what already has happened. I think there's that um, definitely the differences there. And I just want to repeat those last two lines. You shake in the mattress, you shake in the... And I think that last line, you shake in the, almost creates a fill-in-the-blank type scenario. You shake in the, where he says nothing, basically to say everything in my mind, and create almost an infinite amount of possibilities. Like you could plug in almost any location to show that fear and the effects of death do not remain locked in your bedroom, but follow you wherever you go when you've experienced like losing a close loved one like that. So I think that's mainly the two differences. But that's also, I think, one reason why the songs are so strongly connected, even in title, Fulton 1, Fulton 2, is by their relationship with one another. Andrew, what are your thoughts? So I think you actually covered most of the things. So a couple of things that I had is I think the song's strength musically is just the fact that it can keep reinventing itself. And that's what you were saying with this idea of like, almost getting lost where where the song is. Is it a verse? Is it a chorus? And I think that actually speaks to just, once again, the these ideas of loss and some of the emotions that you go through that sometimes you just feel lost. You don't know how to feel. You don't know how to reason. You're just not sure kind of where to go. And I think the music helps with that entire idea of just like, you're not sure where you are in the song. And I really love that. I think it's really cool. I like that the timing and the chords change throughout like the chord structure changes but then later in the song the timing changes it's not all in the same time signature which is really cool i think it again helps with the different feelings and emotions that he's talking about lyrically which you covered perfectly besides that then the only other thing that i had here is how the song ends i think it's really cool because it seems like it's going to swell into something really big that like it kind of ends and then it starts swelling up and you're like oh the next song is going to hit really hard but like it does not it comes down once again and it's just this idea once again of these dynamics that go up and down so often that just are not yeah, it's a it's a non-linear. It doesn't feel like it's the same thing. It just when it comes down, it decides to build back up just to come right back down for seemingly no reason except for just keeping it interesting and keeping you kind of guessing where they're going to go dynamically as a band. So, I think that that's really cool. Keeps the album very interesting to me musically. All right. We're going to go to the next track. The next track is called Rhodonite and Grief. I keep a rabbit toy for kids. You give me strength to fix myself. I gave you tokens, toys, and gifts to help you breathe. You said kill me by surprise again. I don't want to stay alive to watch the words go first like hers. All right, Nate, what are your thoughts on this track? So I'm going to keep it kind of simple. I think this is a beautifully unsettling song. So it starts out very smooth and then explodes near the end. 
And I love the trumpet here. And I love there's like this really weird noise going on in that screaming part. I don't know what it is, but it kind of like swings back and forth that sound. And um, I think he kills it with his vocal performance on the song. The lyrics to the chorus are essentially kill me by surprise. You said, I don't want to stay alive to watch the words go first like hers. And so I, from what I read online, I think this is talking about his partner's grandma who um, ended up suffering from dementia and just watching his partner, her watching the deterioration of her grandma and seeing death in a different way and not wanting at all to die like that. I think this is a great example where he basically just says her words and almost just like lets you into a conversation and he doesn't need to like elaborate on it. I know obviously there's more lyrics than the rest of the song, but I think sometimes artists can try to be too poetic almost and be like too interesting and too creative where it's like, you don't have to sometimes create stuff. You can just take real conversations and put them in because that's sometimes what speaks the most about a situation and creates the most imagery, actually like putting in, entering the listener into that conversation. So I thought that was just very interesting and a good technique to use there. Andrew, what are your thoughts? So the song actually really resonated with me lyrically. And I'm not going to get too much into this, but I am an Enneagram 2. And I feel like this song is very much the song for Enneagram 2s. Because it's very much this idea of seeing someone in pain and trying to figure out how to help them. But I think what's very interesting is his his loss for like what to do. That he seems to really want to help her, but he doesn't know really what to do. And so he keeps throwing out these ideas of like, how do I help you? What do I do? Helping someone as they're going through grief and and pain and just all the different emotions there. And so it actually really resonated with me lyrically on that kind of spectrum as well. And I won't dive too much deeper than that. I do think that my favorite part is the drum groove in the song. I think it's really cool. In the intro specifically, there's just a really cool drum groove in there. The guitar playing has some really interesting, cool parts. And I love that the bass is just kind of moving throughout. It's like this constant movement from the bass. And besides that, it's so cool that they use some brass. I believe it's a trumpet in there that they use in the song. It creates this like idea of like a soothing melody behind it. But the lyrics are maybe a little bit more abrasive. And I think it's just this idea of like how to soothe someone when things are not going well. How do you help someone through grief? And I think the trumpet actually does that really, really well in the song. And I appreciate that use of just uh, an instrument, maybe a little bit more background, but I think it plays a huge part in the song musically. All right, we're going to move on to the next track. The next track is called Anxiety Panorama. Right, Nate, what are your thoughts on this track? So I think this song is a great example of a heavy song that's still extremely catchy and captivating, despite not being at all bright or pretty. 
I just think the song, I mean, it drives, but you're really vibing for a lot of time, especially in the chorus. And lyrically, the first verse definitely gets me. First off, this is just a example I'm sure many of you can relate with. I looked up the lyrics for this song, and when I found, oh, I really like the lyrics of this second verse as I was listening, I focused in on that. And I was like, wow, these words don't really seem to be matching up with the lyrics written. So I look them up on another website. Those lyrics are different than the lyrics I looked up before. And I was like, oh, great. But unfortunately, those lyrics also didn't seem to match what I was hearing. <laughs> and so I looked up a third website. All This is all in a row. Just I only looked up three websites and every single one had different lyrics for this singular verse. And that third website had the lyrics as I was expecting them to be written. And it writes, I'm pleading for forgiveness. How I failed so many times competes now with your own pain in your ever anxious mind. Now, again, this verse just gets me where and Andrew, it's actually really piggybacking off that idea you were talking about as a two, though I'm not a two. When you care about someone, it's interesting how in trying to do your best to help them get through whatever they're going through, you are also another potential source of pain, depending on how you handle things. And so like when someone goes through something tough, it opens up all of their relationships to become either places or areas of peace or pain or some combination of the two. And it's interesting how one piece of pain opens up opportunity for thousands, I guess you could say almost. But then also just this perspective of the one, as you were talking about, Andrew, who's not necessarily going through the pain, but trying to help the other person out and feeling shame about the inadequate job they're doing and not being enough, regardless of how well we help others struggle through things or help them work through grief. It's impossible to be enough or to be everything. And so I think no matter what, there's these feelings of, oh, I wish I could help them more, but you just can't. And so he's trying to grapple with those feelings as well. So yeah, Andrew, what are your thoughts on the track? So this song is so cool. I love it so much. I think my favorite parts are the parts. There's a part where the electric guitar is basically just strumming really aggressively on one chord and the drums are accenting behind it. And it's so cool. And I think it's just really intense. This is definitely one of the more intense songs on the album. And I actually think this song showcases Jordan's voice at one of the best on the album, if not the best. His screams are extremely passionate, and they carry such authority in what he's saying that when he's screaming something, obviously you want to listen a little bit more to what he's saying just because of how he's saying it. But his vocal dynamics are just insane, and I'm always impressed with just this idea of how he goes from soft soft just basically spoken word just like talking into a mic to then screaming basically but you can understand kind of all the different nuances that are in his voice and it just carries the song so much i think it's a perfect song i think it's it's insanely good so yeah i don't have too much else to add all right let's move on to track six track six is called in northern michigan life all of its languages here Just enough at all times. My life in the light of you. I remember everything. 
All right, Nate, what are your thoughts on this track? So I think this is a great change of pace track in the sense that the following track, which we'll get to next, I think hits extra hard because of the softness of this track. Obviously, there's more references to dreams in the song. I want to read the third verse. Dream, if you want me to carry on, you could be like a body in the sea. You could slowly sink on into nothingness. Or you could float like a lantern in a breeze. You could freeze out of focus on a movie screen, film careening from the reel. Or you could stay for an ovation when the credits roll, focused face right in the center of the frame. You never know. And that third verse, I almost feel like it's an attempt for him to challenge himself or his partner to dream for the happy ending or for the positive outcome, though it might not seem like that's a possibility at the time. And just that our dreams and how we're expecting the future to go don't actually necessarily fully dictate things. Like we have the opportunity to take our dreams and have some type of authority over them. And even though that might be a struggle, it's a possibility. And I think it feels like not that great of a possibility because he ends that first saying you never know which is kind of like you say that about the lottery like hey like i'm gonna try the lottery because like you never know like you could win you don't say that about stuff you're confident in and so i do think there's a bit of trepidation yet he still wants to like somehow create an avenue for hope in the midst of this andrew what are your thoughts So I love how the song flows into this song from Anxiety Panorama. I think it flows perfectly. That's a theme throughout the album as well, is that each song feels connected one way or the other, that that there's not really a break from one song to the next. It just kind of moves right into it. But it's not like, a hey, this song ended and this one starts. It's like if you were listening to the album straight through, you might not be able to tell where a new song starts, especially because of how much they're changing it up musically throughout the album. This is one of the bigger musical changes, like you alluded to, with the song. And I really like kind of it between the song Anxiety Panorama and, yeah, the next song, View From Our Bedroom Window. It's a really cool song kind of right in there. I think my favorite thing is actually the bass and how they use the bass. Usually the bass guitar just establishes chords. It might do some walk-ups or walk-downs. But it's not the main attraction. It supports more than it attracts. And this song specifically, but throughout the whole album, the bass actually attracts you to listen to it. That it actually carries different melodies and it carries the entire portion of the intro and the verse in this song. That it basically has that to itself. I like that there's some cool textural elements that are created behind the bass. But again, the bass is the main attraction for quite a bit of it. And I think that's really cool. I think this is some of the softest that they get as a band. It builds a bit, but I love how they're just able to really take their time with the song and their time with the build that it's not just like building for a small bit and then it gets really hard, but they're they're building almost the entire song is just one big build. And I think that's really impressive and really hard to do to kind of have that patience to build slowly like they do in this song. All right, we're going to move on to track seven. Track seven is called View From Our Bedroom Window.
All right, Nate, what are your thoughts on this track? The song feels very similar to something you'd find on Wildlife, I feel like. And I think it's mainly his cadences that make me feel this way. From a song structure standpoint, this is definitely one of the most straightforward and predictable songs. I felt like when I first listened to this, I was like, each step, I knew where it was going, where almost all their other songs, you like don't know what's going to happen. But despite being predictable, it's still a great song. Like there's plenty of song like predictability isn't like the final say and like what makes a song good or not. Now, one thing that isn't necessarily predictable that they did is they changed the chorus. And so I love when bands change the chorus and Law Dispute does that actually somewhat of a frequent amount, especially because it's hard to know what the chorus is. So they just change stuff and you're like, oh, that's probably the chorus. Anyways, but Law Dispute does that here. And I want to point out to compare the lyrics briefly. So in the first chorus, at one point, he says, we spend summers awake. We shake at the shadow shapes, the wind. It rattles our chains. We're always turning around. And then in the second chorus, he sings, the wind rattles our chains. We shake our fists at the pain. We shake at shadow shapes. We cup our hands in the storm and watch our houses burning. We catch the rain to fight it. And I mean, to be honest, there's definitely moments of hope on the album like I referenced in the last song. But I found this to be the most the most impactful and the most profound sense of hope on the album where just like watching something burning to the ground during a rainstorm and like cupping your hands to get water to throw it on the fire is like this beautiful picture of feeling like you're in a hopeless situation and yet persisting anyways, because hope is all you have in that moment. And so I just thought it was amazing lyricism here. Andrew, what are your thoughts? So I'm just going to talk about the guitar work on this song. I think it's one of the best songs for the guitar work. I like all the different lead lines that the electric guitars use throughout the song. And it's back and forth. It's not just one of the electrics. It's both of them taking turns kind of in the spotlight and even sometimes overlapping the spotlight where they're both doing something really different but somehow layered on top of each other. They sound really good. They work really well off of each other i think my favorite part is there's some guitar chords i'm gonna say it's in the bridge but it's just later in the song that almost sound like chimes and i love how it sounds it's just a really cool uh texture that they add in the song so that's about all i'm gonna add on top of what you had nate all right we're gonna move on to the next track track eight is called footsteps at the pond right nate what are your thoughts on this track so this was the second single from the album i believe and i really like the music video same i like the music video a lot for fulton street one too so check out those videos i think this is one of those examples of peak law dispute for me and mainly the transition from the bridge into the chorus again and then the transition from the chorus into the outro, it's just like, moi, 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 kisses for everybody. Just like, 
beautiful. And um, as you'd expect it, lyrically, there's more references to dreams. And in an interview with Fader, Jordan said about the song, Footsteps at the Pond, boot prints in the snow on hills sloped downward toward water and toward broken ice. I had that vision all summer in the same place, driving back and forth between homes while we were writing. This song is about reckoning with flaws, about letting the best people down, about nearly drowning, but for them. And so I just want to take that explanation and use it for context to read the chorus. As the chorus goes, I guess I needed you to freeze me out, these corners of your dreams. I think you needed me to bleed out loud. I guess I needed you to freeze me out, these corners of your dreams. I guess you needed me to leave. And this is just like harsh, I guess you could say, where it's just like, it's harsh towards yourself, but like sometimes it's the reality where like you're getting in the way of the ones you love the most and like trying to like reckon with that reality and yet not giving up and still trying to improve so you can help and you can bring fruit into their life. But like at the current moment, feeling like it might be better for you not even to be there and to be gone. It's just like very interesting and it's very, it's just sad, but it's a reality sometimes. And I think one lyric from that that I thought was interesting is he says, I think you needed me to bleed out loud. And I think it's talking about like empathy and his partner, her needing him to truly hurt the same way that she did and him not being able to. That's just speculation. But I thought that idea of bleeding out loud was like a very interesting picture of empathy. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, just to back you up, that's the exact imagery that I got from that as well. So I don't think you're crazy with that. And if that's not what he meant, then that's just how kind of I took it and what resounded with me as well. So, um, so yeah, I think that imagery is really, really cool as well. All right, we're going to talk about some musical stuff. Nate's doing such a great job covering lyrics that I'm taking out some of my, my lyrical thoughts because he's already covering them. But... With this, let me talk about some stuff musically. The timing is so cool in the song, specifically in the first verse. When the song starts, there's this guitar part that kind of I was bopping my head to, kind of keeping tempo. And then it completely changed when the drums came in that like I couldn't keep bopping my head at that same exact timing because those weren't where the downbeats were anymore that they completely shifted. And I think... It just was so cool. There's some accented guitar and bass chords throughout the song. And just the the feel of the song is very accented, very different, very complex. I would say it's probably the most impressive from a musical or a technical standpoint that they've been thus far. Just very weird, very progressive, very, yeah, I, just, I think it's really cool. Only thing that I noticed is that sometimes that coolness, at least to me, meant that the vocals got covered over a little bit in the track. And that happens a couple times on the album that it just felt like his voice needed to be pushed a little louder because the instruments were hitting either so hard or, yeah, it just could have been a little louder. That's the only thing that I noticed from from a technical standpoint that I did not like in the song, but everything musically uh, besides that was was really amazing. All right, we're going to move on to track nine. Track nine is called There You Are, Hiding Place. Summer shifting like a dream for me. 
Nate, what are your thoughts on this track? So I'm going to keep it kind of simple. I don't want to make people upset, but I really don't like the chorus on this track. And to be honest, it kind of derails the whole song for me, even though I like the rest of the song. I won't get into the lyrics, but yep, you guessed it. More dream talking. (laughs) Okay, Andrew, what are your thoughts on this track? So I do enjoy the song and let me point out some things that I do enjoy from it. It does remind me actually of a different band and a different song. And so there's a chance that because I love this other band and the song so much, maybe that helps. But it is actually reminiscent to me of the song Come to Rest by the band Blindside. I'm a huge fan of Blindside and some of the guitar hits that they use are very intense chords and it reminds me very much of them. In fact, as a band, I would say Lotta Spoot does does sound like they pull some of their harder elements from Blindside as well. And so that's just something I've thought about Lotta Spoot in the past is that they can sound like Blindside, maybe a little Project 86 more, more in Jordan's screaming voice, but just just some of those intense chords I really love. I also like after the intense chords happen, there's this part where Jordan is building intensity vocally and there's a guitar that keeps going higher and higher up the fretboard and it's matching that intensity and I think is really well put together. The other thing that I just want to point out here now that we're at this song is just the importance of Jordan's vocal cadences because I think they are so important and they're just incredible that he can change them up often enough that it doesn't feel like he's just reusing the same cadences. He's not using as much melody in his singing. It's mostly about the cadences in which he's saying these words and everything. And when he says the line shuffling off to sleep, for some reason that that line and that cadence just gets stuck in my head, just like it would like a, a poppy, catchy melody gets stuck in your head. That cadence gets stuck in my head. And I think it's so cool. It's like literally been in my head this entire podcast as we've been going forward that it's just such a cool cadence. And I think he really does such a good job with those cadences. And I just have to have to compliment him on that. He does it in every song, but I just pointed it out in this song because that might be one of the parts that, to me, was one of the more catchy moments of this song or maybe even the album. Let's move on to track 10. The final track is called You Ascendant. No one to blame but me. I wanted everything. How'd I feel so bad? All right, Nate, what are your thoughts on this final track? So I actually really like this as a closer. For me, this is a great example of a tamed crescendo. And I mean, I guess you could say they did that too with in Northern Michigan. But this one, it hits a bit harder than that one and ramps up a bit more. They could have made it even bigger and heavier if they wanted to, but I liked how they remained restrained. And these are definitely some of the most interesting lyrics on the album for me. And they're very powerful. And I wanted to list some, but honestly, it was too hard to pick only a few. So I'm just going to mention none of them as encouragement to go look them up yourself. And as you listen to the song, listen closely because the lyrics are phenomenal. Andrew, your thoughts. 
All right, so I love the addition of the acoustic guitar to close out this album, to add into the song. It makes for such kind of a beautiful textural landscape for this song. I think the question at the end, kind of wondering when death will come and how it will happen, is such an interesting concept that's tackled throughout the album a whole lot. I think the long ending is soothing and kind of much needed to wrestle with some of the lyrics, not just of this song, but of this entire album. I think it's really important to have those those musical breaks, and they did not have them throughout the album. There's not very many moments that you can just be like, oh, what were all those lyrics again? What did I just hear? Kind of wrestle with them. But this final track gives space for that. It's over seven minutes long. It's a very long track in which he still adds to the album lyrically, but it kind of comes to this idea of just just questioning and wondering and in some ways just being okay with that, like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I think it's really cool how he ends the album lyrically and how the music just reflects all of that. It's the perfect closer because literally none of the other songs would have ended it where you finish the album and feel relieved. This is the only one that you kind of feel like could end the album. And it's really the only good place for this song. If this track was five or six, it would have broken up the album, which would have been fine, but I don't think it would have actually served the album near as well as as the closer. So it's a great closing track. All right, that ends our song-by-song talk through the album Panorama by La Dispute. We're going to go through our album summary and ratings and talk just a little bit more about this album. So I have just a quick album summary for this entire album. I think the album is a musical journey, which every song and idea on the album connects really beautifully with itself. I think the dynamics on this album continually evolve And as much as it sounds like La Dispute, they don't play it safe. They they continually progress and change to present a new style, a new take on their own style. I think it is probably, to date, maybe my favorite La Dispute album. I really liked Rooms of the House, and so that's going to be hard personally for me to to say that that's not my favorite but I do think that they did such a good job with this album that this might be one that I'm the most interested in continually listening to and I think it is very possibly my favorite album that they've done to date personally so Nate what are your kind of final summary of this album so I really liked it as well if we're going to do rankings I'd probably say I'd have it third behind both rooms of the house and wildlife. And so the fact that I really like it and have it third is like a good sign that the band's dope. (laughs) So do you have a favorite track on this album? Yeah, I would say for me, I would have to go with footsteps in the pond. Just I think again, it's all over the place and yet they do such a good job of displaying all their different assets really well from the instrumentation to the lyrics to the vocals and It just hits hard, but it's catchy. I just really love this track. What about you? That was one of the ones I was thinking about. It is honestly a very hard album to pick a favorite. I'm actually going to go with Anxiety Panorama. I just really love that song. I think there's just something. It hits really hard, and I just love how it sounds. I love how it transitions into in northern Michigan. I I think it's a great track, and it's one that I might show someone if they're unfamiliar with La Dispute 
a little bit sooner than tracks that I also love, such as Fulton Street, uh, one more specifically, and in northern Michigan, other tracks that I love. But I might start someone out uh, with a different song just to give them a little bit of an overview before diving into some of the deeper things. So, yeah. All right, we're going to go through our ratings real quick. Uh, We're going to rate 1 to 10 from five different sections of the music. We're going to talk about instrumentation, vocals, lyrics, the journey, and the package. And we'll kind of unpack what each of those are. We're going to total up Nate and I's total scores. And we're going to total it up and get you a score out of 100, which we're then going to turn into a uh, single-digit score as our final podcast score. All right, Nate, what did you give instrumentation? So I give that an 8.5. I think I would have gave it a 9 or a 9.5 if the instrumentation was a little bit stronger. I think the vocals and the lyrics carried the project a little bit more, like carried the album a little bit better. But the instrumentation is still amazing. I just think there's definitely some parts throughout the album I kind of lose focus on the instrumentation and that being said it's incredible i just mean compared to the rest i like the the vocals a bit better what about you i also gave it an 8.5 same exact thoughts i think there's sometimes throughout the album that the instrumentation is insanely good like so good and then there are other times that it feels like it's it's transitionally good where it's good but it's just trying to transition you from one section to the next and the main focus is is Jordan's voice and cadences at that point and so instrumentation is great it could have been again a little bit better if there was maybe less of those transitional things but that's also what makes a lot of spew themselves if it was always this really technical stuff I think it'd be too much as well so I think it works well for the band, but there's definitely room uh, for growth there as well. But 8.5, very high score. All right, Nate, what are your thoughts on vocals? So I gave vocals a 9.5. I think of Lot of Spoots albums, Jordan gives the best vocals on this album. And I think you talked about a lot, just his cadences. Even, I mean, he, he's definitely grown to become a lot more melodic as uh, the band's progressed. And really... What separates them as a band is him. That's not meant to be disrespectful. And I'm more talking about from a uniqueness standpoint than a qualitative standpoint. Like, obviously, the band is incredible. The instruments are incredible. But I think you can easily categorize the band into, like, a alternative hard rock band that does some things a little weird. The vocals are just definitely what really makes a band unique and makes them who they are for me. What about you? I also gave it a 9.5. Good chance we're just going to keep copying each other. <laughs> I agree. Everything that Jordan does, I think, is at its strongest. I'm just impressed four albums in that he just seems to continually progress himself as a vocalist. His cadences, like you were saying, he gets more melodic as each album goes on. And I don't have anything else to add. I think He's insanely good. Uh, It's hard not to give it a 10. I just was splitting hairs here, basically, but he's insanely good at what he does. All right, Nate, what are your thoughts on lyrics? I give the lyrics a 9.5 as well. I think he uses a lot of different techniques, but he's so poetic and articulate. And my favorite thing about Jordan is usually how vivid he is with painting a picture and telling a story 
and he's just a great storyteller and he continues to do that on this album what about you (laughs) funny enough i also gave it a 9.5 same exact reasons i think uh, the quality of these lyrics is up there with the quality of other law dispute lyrics as the album as a whole there's no weak lyrics on the album it's it's insanely good it's about as close as a as a straight 10 out of 10 only reason that it's not is maybe in some ways it's a concept album but it's a lot of other different concepts pulled together into one and i think um it's not based off of one one story or anything like that i don't know i'm splitting hairs there but lyrics are incredible they're so good all right nate what are your thoughts on the journey that's the flow consistency and length of the album so I really hope our scores are mere images of each other. That'd be pretty crazy, but I do not think they will be. I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. And my guess is you gave this an 8.5. That is correct. So honestly, it comes down to two main things. I would say the fact that on its own, it's nine tracks, which I wish it was 10 even though I'm not going to be a sore loser about that, not getting what I want. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Andrew? You're correct. You nailed it. I'm going to give it an 8.5. I think I agree the nine tracks feels a little bit short, or I guess nine songs. It's ten tracks, but yeah, that intro track is not much with that as well. And so I wouldn't mind one more. thing is, it is a very heavy album. That's that's one of the thoughts between lyrically and musically. You just feel like you've experienced a lot in that time. So I kind of get leaving it at 10, but I would I would appreciate probably an 11th track, another song, something else in there. But it's, it's really good. I think, again, there's such a flow. The songs are very connected, which is awesome. And I think it sounds great. All right. Nate, what are your thoughts on the final category? That's the packaging, that's the production, the album artwork, and anything else that kind of counts in that category. Yeah, so actually something that I think does count extra in this category, which is unique to the band, is they released this kind of interactive, they called it a video game called, I think it's called Pilgrimage. That might not be correct, but they released it before the album. And it was basically this like, just role player walkthrough where each song had its own map and you could just explore the map during the song as this character. And there was other people that were following you and that I forget if you followed people as well, but um, it was just a really cool thing. Very interesting. I think I love the album artwork, very anime influenced. It feels like, and I love anime films specifically. And so, yeah, I thought that was wicked sick. And this idea of journey with that is cool. And then lastly, I think the, the production is phenomenal. Uh, Will Yip, he's he's that dude. He basically produces like all of my favorite albums. And again, he just does a great job. I know that a lot of people and partially including Andrew didn't like at points um, the vocals being kind of buried. I didn't mind it. And so I might be a little less harsh on that. I think sometimes his vocals, there's a temptation to give his vocals too much of a place and the music and drown the music out. And so the fact that he was overshadowed a little bit and made you kind of work more to hear what he was saying and it kind of made him more of an instrument at times vocally, I thought was fine. It's okay. People disagree. Andrew, what were your thoughts? You almost convinced me that I should go higher. Almost there. So I gave it an 8.5. I think 
one of the reasons that I was lower on it is first I didn't know about that kind of video game walkthrough thing. I somehow completely missed that. Even following the band and looking up things, I I missed that. But that's really cool. And I kind of like your take on it's okay if the vocals are buried, like it adding to the dynamics and and just like that that idea of like not always having to just push his vocals out front. This is a band. It's not a solo artist. It's not just Jordan. There's instrumentalists who do such a good job on this album. So I do like giving them space as well. I was going to say, I think this is their best production from an album standpoint. To me, maybe even significantly their best that they've had as well. So I mostly was giving it an 8.5 because of times on the album that it felt like his voice got buried. But I could definitely see going up from that. But yeah, the whole album, it's so good. And we're going to total up our scores. So, if you noticed, Nate and I kind of ended up at the same exact score. It's the first time that we're tying on a score. We both ended up at 44.5, which totals up to an 89 out of 100, or an 8.9 out of 10, which is our final score. So that's like a B plus. That's that's great. Really solid album. Really good. Definitely check it out. Definitely check out a show when they're around. Uh, they're really good live. I, I enjoy them live as well. Um, so if you haven't gotten to see them and yeah, dive into this album, please do so. All right. We're going to move into our last section called the Encore. Stick around. Welcome to our encore. This is the part of the podcast that we give you one final thought. We also give you all of our shout outs. So thanks so much for listening to this episode. We had a lot of fun putting this episode together. We don't get paid for this. We just do this because we enjoy sharing artists with you guys and sharing new new music and artists that maybe are just under the radar that need a little bit of help just getting the recognition that they have worked for and deserve so much. So we hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss our other episodes. Make sure that you like it, you share it, uh, just all that fun stuff. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Both of those tags are LDLpod. And you can even email us at listening at gmail.com. So definitely reach out to us on our socials. That's where we'll be posting Spammer Jam Top 3. That's a great platform for some discussion just about this album, your favorite track maybe, and maybe some stuff that we missed. If we got something wrong lyrically or musically and, and said something and you know that it's wrong, definitely let us know. We want to always get better as a podcast and getting you correct info and we want to learn uh, learn even more about this album ourselves than we did through our own discussion and everything so let's give uh let's give a couple shout outs so yeah you can also check out josh leininger he's the guy who made this awesome instrumental music on this podcast so if you enjoyed the music that was not law dispute definitely check out josh leininger he's awesome and makes some really great music so check out all of his stuff 
And now I'm going to give you my final thought. So my final thought, something that I've been pondering a little bit lately, is this idea of why is the man who invests all your money called a broker? It's just not maybe a great name for someone investing all your money. So uh, just be smart out there, kids. Make sure uh, you don't invest your money with a broker. (laughs) All right, Nate, what is your final thought? So if you walk into a forest and cut down a tree, but the tree doesn't understand why you cut it down, do you think it's stumped? <laughs> that's, that's solid. I love how with that joke, you're like waiting to hear some rendition of like if a tree falls, but no one's there to, but then you're like, wait, what? And then you're stumped. Yep, it's true. Next podcast, we will be listening to the album Fear by the band Citizens, as well as interviewing the lead singer, Zach. crazy.